You're listening to XOXO by The Knot, a new podcast exploring love in real life. I'm Whitney Little, and on the show today, you'll meet Caitlin and Ben, who married on July 7th, 2012. Together, they've overcome distance, multiple snafus as they navigated wedding planning, difficulties in pursuit of growing their family, and in the end, always sticking by each other's side. For them, marriage truly is for better or worse. This is their story. It was a surprise. It was unexpected. We thought, here's another thing that's sort of, you know, we're coming up against, but it's sort of a blessing in disguise that this happened to us. It, it did help our families come closer together, and I don't think we would we would change it for anything. So about 15% of couples married last year met while they were in college together. And even more than that, about 17% of couples met their spouse through a friend of a friend. So I'd like to introduce you to Caitlin and Ben. They were brought together in college and then using a mutual friend brought even closer together. Caitlin, your parents were optimistic you'd move home after graduating and marry a nice boy from your hometown. And it almost did happen that way. Tell us what happened. So... It did almost happen. My mother almost had her wish, but the week before graduating college, I had known of Ben through a mutual friend, but we didn't really meet until right before I was graduating. And, you know, I was really celebrating that that last week. And we met and, you know, had a great night, but thought, well, I'm graduating and that's that. But Basically, from the beginning, our relationship has been a series of surprises. And what one surprise was is that it was not the last time I saw Ben. I think at that point, we were kind of going separate ways. I was going off to summer camp. I was a counselor there every summer while in college on the Chesapeake Bay. And I think, what was the quote that your mom said as you were driving away from that, I guess, that very, you know, after graduation, you were driving and you guys were, what was that quote that your mom Thank God she didn't meet someone from Delaware? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, th- I think it was, it was, basically it was, thank God you didn't meet not someone, so now you can marry someone from, from New, New Jersey. Jersey and mm-hmm. stay in New Jersey for the rest of your life and it'll be good. So what happened was actually, so this was in the time of AOL Instant Messenger, you know, rest in peace. And every break that I got while I was at summer camp, we had these staff computers and I would log on and kind of just, you know, see who was on. And Caitlin was on a good amount actually that summer. I was very bored. Yeah. So we we got to talking more and more over AIM. And I was was like, I really like this girl. You know, let's keep this going. So every year we would host parties at my college house because it was only an hour or two away from summer camp. So we would host parties. And I was like, I I think I'd like Caitlin to come up. So using our mutual friend, because this was Caitlin's best friend, to lure her back down to Delaware a couple times throughout that summer. And uh, we didn't really start dating until, I guess, after that summer. September. September. Yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. She knows. She knows the date. I know the dates (laughs) very well. Yeah, yeah. It was it was unexpected from from the beginning. Not not what I thought the plan of my life would be. Thought I'd graduated college, had that experience, and was moving on to the next stage. But he he pulled me back, and I was very happy. How did you know you liked him? Well, he was really my first serious boyfriend, and we were on the same page really from the beginning, which I'd never experienced before. And at that time, it seemed like we both were looking for the same things in in the other person. 
So it just was sort of seamless. I felt like he just sort of entered my life, and and it was really no difficulty transitioning into, like, this new relationship. It just sort of was so natural between us. So that's sort of how I knew it. It just it just sort of happened, and I was so surprised by it, but it, it was sort of exactly what I'd been looking for, and I had no idea that it was going to be him. So thanks to your friend Chelsea, love was blooming. Mm-hmm. How long did you guys keep the long-distance dating going? And also, follow-up question, how did the long-distance impact your plans for your post-grad life? So we basically had a long-distance relationship from, let's see, 2007 until 2011. Wow. When I moved to Chicago. Um, so we were always long distance because I I had gotten a job in New Jersey. He was still in school. And, you know, we were just – it was a two-and-a-half-hour drive, so it wasn't terrible. But we were always commuting on the weekend, seeing each other. And it was definitely difficult to keep that and maintain that, especially being a new relationship. We wanted to be together all the time. But, you know, I did have a full-time job as well, so I was sort of navigating that new world. And it was just a lot of trying to communicate with each other as best we could, which it was a roller coaster at times. Sometimes we were communicating really well, and other times we weren't. And there was a little bit of us being in sort of different stages just because he was still in college for a year. And then the following year stayed in Delaware to do sort of a – postgraduate, what would you say, internship almost? Well, I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah, you so didn't. I, you know, I knew I wanted to go to grad school, but like senior year just got too busy and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. So I stayed at Delaware, did a year of research with the professor that I was doing research with as an undergrad. And, you know, again, there were good times of communication. Probably while I was in my last year of school or college, I had like kind of a plan, but then after that year, while I was doing research, I just didn't know really what I was doing. And I was applying to grad schools, but not really thinking too much about it. And, you know, I thought about, you know, biking across country and Caitlin was not happy yeah, about that. Yeah, that wasn't a good plan. No. no. But eventually, you know, I, you know, throughout, maybe I'll go to grad school in Australia. Maybe I'll go grad school, you know, all over the country. But then what I was kind of going back and forth was I wanted to do physical therapy as well as I did a mechanical engineering undergrad. So I was looking back and forth between what would be able to combine those two. And what I really found was a grad school program at Northwestern in Chicago that combined the two. So I was able to get a doctorate in physical therapy as well as a PhD in biomedical engineering and kind of like an MD, PhD. And that's what kind of took me to Chicago. I moved out there in September of 2009. So at that point, we had already been two years long distance. And I would say it was probably good because once I got out of my own bubble, in Delaware, I got to Chicago, I had much more of a plan and, you know, I matured as as I think most people or guys do as they move away and kind of figure things out. So th- that was really, I think, where our relationship was more solidified was once I moved to Chicago. That's where yeah. things really started to get on the right track. Well, I think we, for myself, I am a very type A goal plan-oriented person. I'm a teacher, so it's just how I live my life. And I had a very clear plan in my head of sort of how my life was going to go. And at the time, the first two years of our relationship, you know, it was us navigating how we were going to 
move forward. And there was a point before he moved to Chicago where I wasn't sure if we could move forward. It seemed like our paths were maybe diverging a bit. And him moving to Chicago, I think he definitely matured more. And then I, flying back and forth, it really became clear to me that, you know, this was something I really wanted to make work. And he, I think, saw that too. So in a strange way, the distance, even though the distance grew, we actually grew closer. And I have a really vivid memory of flying back from Chicago to New Jersey. And my family is extremely important to me, the most important thing in my life. And it was the first time where I felt like I was actually flying away from my family instead of back to my family. And I just felt like this this is the person I want to be with for the rest of my life because he was my family. So that distance in a, in a strange way really helped us. It's beautiful. So the majority of couples, which is about three out of four, lived together before getting married. Were you both on board with living together before getting engaged? Like, how was that conversation for you both? It was pretty simple. It's like we, if Caitlin was going to move out, she was going to be living with me and or with we were going to be living together. And it was, I don't think there was much of a conversation. It was like, okay, if we move out, we're living together, you know. And that was, for me, that I, I never had any questions about living with someone before being married. No, I didn't either. I felt that we had always been long distance. So we had to at least make sure that living together was going to work and that we liked being around each other 24-7 because we had basically been like a weekend sort of relationship in a way. And I, even though my parents may have wished for something different, I felt that that was important to make sure that we worked as a couple before having a ring on my finger. But it definitely was clear to both of us that by my moving out there, there was a ring coming down the pike like it was going to happen. That was the intention. I made it very clear that that was what I was hoping would would happen. It was a really big commitment for me to move and leave everything behind. It was a sacrifice. And I felt that that was where we were headed. But I didn't want that before. I wanted us to make sure it worked before and not feel that pressure of like, oh, but we're engaged. so We have to make it work now. So. Yeah. So you moved out in January of 2011. Yes. The perfect time to move to Chicago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> January. Great weather. <laughs> oh, beautiful weather. Yeah. January. If you like sleety days. So I kind of knew there was a ticking timeline as soon as that happened. So I knew that was coming. So it was from then on, it was kind of like, okay, how do we, do we live well together? And then how do I plan a, you know, a decent proposal for you? Decent. It was more than decent. So it was okay. So what was the proposal like? So let's see. We were going back from Delaware. Delaware hosts this annual alumni weekend every year, and it also falls actually generally on Caitlin's birthday mm-hmm. weekend as well. We had also a friend, a good friend of mine from growing up, was getting married the week before, so we were going out there, and we had a whole week to go out. And so I was kind of like, okay, how do I figure this out? How do I incorporate? Because Caitlin was talking about how important her family was and her friends and everyone was just, I, I knew that she wanted everyone there, so I've tried to figure out What's the best way to incorporate everyone into that proposal? And you had been looking at rings or thinking about rings leading up to that. I wasn't really 
I had no idea that he was. I had given him a six-month timeline, so I was hoping it was, you know, happening, but I didn't know really of anything. I had shown some pictures to him of what I liked, but, you know, we didn't go ring shopping together or anything like that. So I was sort of unclear on what was going to happen. And then sitting at this friend's wedding and feeling like, why am I not, you know, engaged yet? Caitlin mentioned ring shopping. So what I did was actually I, and if you're looking for rings, I was going to be totally overwhelmed by going into probably a ring store and just being like, oh, what's all of this? There's so many different styles. So I talked to Caitlin and she's like, oh, I like this one and this one. I'm like, okay, so what is that one called? What is what are they still called? I don't know. Mm-hmm. A cushion cut, I yeah, think. Right? I think so. Something I, like that. I don't know. <laughs> My it's sister round. would know. <laughs> yeah, it's round, and then you put more diamonds around it so that it a halo. I halo. Mm-hmm. There you go. You put more diamonds around it so it looks bigger. That's, yeah, you know the lingo. Yeah, he there knows. you go. Mm-hmm. Good enough. <laughs> and then there's like four C's or K's or something like that. C's. Four C's. C's. Yes. C's. C's. Yeah. So what I did, I actually, I had a friend who just had recently gotten engaged, so I talked to him about it, and he had talked to a jeweler who actually just deals with loose stones. So I actually went in and went through that whole process where they showed you stones that were within your price range and went through the clarity of them, the cuts, and all that stuff, and essentially showed me four different stones and was like, okay, so which one do you think is the clearest? Because if you can't pick out the really clear one, then it doesn't matter you know, you can get a bigger stone that's not as clear. Or if the clarity really matters to you, go that direction. So I was able to kind of really go through the different ins and outs of the different stones. So that was really neat. And then they built, we built the ring around the stone rather than, I think, a lot of – I'm not sure. I've never been ring shopping. Going the other way around, doing more of the ring and then finding the stone. So it was nice being able to build it up rather than buy it in a package. Mm-hmm. So build it up from the stone and go from there. So I had that shipped to Delaware because I didn't want to travel with that ring. I would, pro- I probably would not have been cool, so cool, mm-hmm. if I had it like with me in my pack, my luggage as we flew across from Chicago back to Delaware. So ship that back. And then from there, it was kind of, you know, let's let's put some things in order. I didn't really, again, have a plan really how to do it. The alumni weekend is Friday through Saturday, and Caitlin's birthday was Sunday, and I invited her fr- her parents down for her birthday because we were doing a birthday brunch for Caitlin. Dinner. dinner. Was it dinner? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was dinner. I actually only told her sister and my parents because my parents were getting the ring, coming in there, and then my mom's also a photographer, so she was able to take pictures throughout the whole thing, and I told Caitlin's sister, Alyssa, to make sure that her parents got down there. So it was kind of, those were the two people. And also, I knew Alyssa would really want to know. So yes. it was, it you was very perfect, smart. perfect person to have that secret. So I told them. And we were going through the dinner. I was probably downing a good amount of wine throughout. Well, everyone that we loved was there. All our friends, my family, his family. It was a beautiful night. We were out in the backyard, had a great dinner. I honestly wasn't really paying much attention to him because all these other people were there. And the end of the meal, people were giving me presents, and his was last. And he handed me a coupon booklet, like, you know, you made when you were eight and had no money. And were like, yeah, this is cool, Mom. I'm going to give you some, you know, coupons for free hugs. I did that a lot for my parents. So they, they, they were always big heads, I think. Yeah, so, well, so I continued that. I can't say it was a big hit. I was like, really? This is my gift? Okay, cool. 
cute, Ben. This is this is great. And people were just like, read them out loud. No one knew, and I'm glad people said read them out loud because I was, didn't think of that either. It was spontaneously asked. So I started reading them out loud, and it was things like, you're entitled to, you know, 30 minutes of a massage or, you know, dinner in a movie and, you know, lame things like that. And then the final one, I, I, you know, got to it, and I had already read it in my head before reading it out loud. And so I didn't read it out loud because I was completely in shock because it had the coupon said, this coupon entitles you to a happy life. Will you marry me? So I was just sort of holding it in front of me, shocked. And next to me, Ben had gotten down on one knee. So then everyone else sitting around realized what was happening and everyone just was freaking out. He said, will you marry me? And I think I said yes. You did. You did. And then also I knew that it was a yes because at the time you had worn, you wore like probably four rings on each finger or each hand. And literally I had not seen rings ever come off anyone's hands as fast as possible. I swear they were like shooting at people (laughs) all around the table. Like people were ducking. And so those rings came off quite quickly Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then your ring went off. My finger was ready. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And your dad had a small heart attack or something like that. Yeah, well, you— you had not specifically asked him, but had talked to him about sort of your intentions, mm-hmm. you know, prior to me moving to Chicago. So he had no idea that this was about to happen and just like complete. I mean, I don't know if he breathed really for a few minutes. And, you know, my mom is crying. Everyone was crying. It, it was, I could not have planned a better proposal for myself. He He nailed it. I mean, Everything that mattered to me, everyone that mattered to me was there to witness that moment. And it's still something that people talk about to this day. So it's a really special, special day. So you're engaged now and you're living in Chicago, but you're planning a wedding on the East Coast. Tell us about that process. What is it like planning a wedding so far from where you're actually living? It was not easy. There were definite complications of just trying to get in touch with vendors and even just the research part of it was hard. I mean, thank goodness for the internet because, I mean, that it, that is what I, everything I found was, was through the internet. And we had gone to some venues, my parents and I, like actually Ben didn't even come because you were in school at the time and I was able to go back in the summer to look at some places with my parents. So, you didn't even see the venue. We eventually booked. No, in, I didn't. You did? Yeah, we went, I went back uh, one trip and saw it, but it was. But after, we had already booked you it. We had already booked it. That's what I meant. We had already booked it, and you, you know, just sort of he he trusted my my. Uh, did I have any taste. choice? Not really. No, I didn't think so. <laughs> but I tried to do something that combined. You know, we were we were looking for something that was a semi destination wedding. I love having sort of a weekend wedding instead of just a one night. I wanted people to be able to be together and for us even to just have more time with people. So we were looking for something that was not super far away, like driving distance, but would require an overnight. And Ben had always, he had gone to summer camp on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, and we really wanted something that was by the water down there. So that's that's where we looked, which I definitely made it even harder for myself because it wasn't even near where my parents lived or his parents. So it did require us to 
travel to that. So it wasn't easy looking for a place. And we finally narrowed it down and we picked a place. So we booked our venue off the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland in, I think that was June or July, actually, of 2011 with the date of July 7th, 2012. And started to look for vendors, which again, internet, thank goodness for that. I mean, I was using lots of, you know, sites that, you know, reviewed places and reviewed vendors to help me and finally booked, you know, most most places, most vendors. I think I had the florist, I had the band, I had the photographer, and then Thanksgiving rolls around and we found out through a friend of a friend of, a, of the family that the venue was filing for bankruptcy. We were shocked. No one had, from the venue had told us. So we didn't know what to do. We contacted the venue. They were trying to make it sound like it was all going to be okay, but we didn't know what was going to happen and if the quality of the place was going to change from that point until July. So we decided to pull out. And that was Thanksgiving. So it was sort of crazy then around the holidays trying to find another venue. And because I had booked some vendors and we had that date, we had to kind of find places that still had that date available, which was hard because that was, what, six months out. And we, you know, went around. We decided we no longer could be in the Chesapeake Bay area because everything I had already kind of exhausted those places. So we moved to the Brandywine Valley area of Pennsylvania and ended up finding a place there that was sort of a bed and breakfast type place. I really wanted someplace people could stay as well, like our bridal party could stay there. And the place was going to put a tent up on their property. So great, wonderful. We we were happy. I had to change some vendors. I had to change, I think really just the florist was what I had to change. The Luckily, the band and photographer were willing to travel. So we we lucked out with that. But then in March... A family friend of mine. So the previous one was a family friend of Caitlin's. Mm-hmm. Now this was a family friend of mine who lives in the area. I guess they just had had a town meeting or whatever the area. And we found out that the B&B didn't get permits to put up the tent or wasn't going to be able to put up the tent. So there really was no way that we would be able to have the wedding there. Why are your family members hearing about this before you? This is wild. It was a really, it was wild. I mean, well, and and so the first time, you know, we found out right away. And, you know, again, they had seen it in like the newspaper or something. And then here, I think it was in a newspaper again. It, It was just such a strange occurrence that... It was like word of mouth that got to us, and we never, we never were told by the actual venues of these of these things. And thank goodness, because you know, I think those venues may have just tried to like make it all okay, and it would have been too late for us to have changed things. So I, I don't know. Someone was looking out for us. But the funny thing is, with the second venue. We Ben and I did not know about that right away. Our parents found out about it first because it was a friend of a friend. So we went home for a weekend in March to his parents in Delaware. And my parents were there. We were like they were like coming for dinner. Mm-hmm. Which our parents had met before. I mean, we'd been dating for a while, but they were not close at the time. But this time they were really chummy with each other. They 
we're like having some inside jokes and we're like, what is going on here? So we had dinner and, you know, the bottles of wine are just going through. And then like up on the counter, there's like five empty bottles of wine and we had just started dinner. And I was like, I didn't drink that much. Caitlin, did you drink that much? No, I hadn't made me a glass. No. Okay. Not us. So it's them. What's going on here? So we finished dinner and they're all laughing and having a good time. And we go into the living room and Caitlin's dad gets up and he's basically, well, you know, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is there will be air conditioning at your wedding. (laughs) The bad news is you're going to have to find another venue. So what had happened is they had found out about this before we had come down. So they had actually gone out a weekend or a couple like, like a couple of weekends before and visited a bunch of different venues and narrowed it down to two venues and were essentially oh you were supposed to go meet with your florist mm-hmm. that was one of the reasons why we were back mm-hmm. and they're like you're not actually meeting with your florist tomorrow we're going to go visit these two venues and you're going to pick one <laughs> and you're going to pick one cuz they both have your date and by that time we had booked vendors we had sent out the save the dates mm-hmm. we had booked hotel blocks we had all of that stuff already set up So we really couldn't change location again. So it was, okay, we have this finite area that we have to fit into. They had found two venues, and it actually worked out pretty well. It did. The venue we ended up at was absolutely gorgeous and perfect. It really was a reflection of us as a couple and what we had originally gone into looking for. Like, it really did end up being being that type of venue for us. So, I mean, it was a roller coaster, But in the long run, it really did end up being perfect. And you know what? All of those things, at the time, they feel really important. But when it comes down to it, as long as you're there with the people you love and they're there to celebrate you and support you, that's really all that matters. And it also really helped to bring our parents together, which was really awesome, Mm -hmm. which was good to have and see is that they were – now a cohesive group as well. Yeah. Again, it was it was a surprise. It was unexpected. We thought, here's another thing that's sort of, you know, we're coming up against, but it's sort of a blessing in disguise that this happened to us. It it did help our families come closer together and I don't think we would we would change it for anything. But that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like how far out were you from the actual wedding date when you secured that final venue? was March. The wedding was in July, so back uh, yeah, three About months. four months. Four months, three, four months, yeah. That's cutting it so close. For anyone who hasn't planned a wedding, it's normally about nine months out because once you have that venue, then everything else falls in line. So it's not like your dress didn't come in or the florist fell through. Like that venue dictates everything. So that's a big deal, but it worked out, yeah. thankfully. Thankfully. It was stressful. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. So what details about your wedding really made it a reflection of who you both are, both as individuals and together? And then I want to hear about the Celtic hand fasting ceremony. Yeah. I think we both come from pretty different and diverse backgrounds. Caitlin grew up very traditionally Catholic, and I grew up culturally Jewish, went to a Unitarian fellowship kind of, you know, a little bit more mixed, eclectic. And it was kind of, how do we figure out how to incorporate both of our backgrounds, traditions, cultures into our wedding ceremony? Because we didn't want, well, first we thought maybe we'll try to go with a priest and see if they would do this work with us. 
they wouldn't do a ceremony outside. Then kind of figured out, hey, let's try a rabbi maybe. I don't know. We didn't really look did too we? much. <laughs> I, I think we did for a hot second. and then Hot second. Yeah. And then really what we settled on was a Unitarian minister. And she was great. Karen was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she really, we actually designed and planned our entire ceremony together with her, us, Caitlin, really going through what we wanted to include within it, the Jewish elements, the Catholic elements. Caitlin's got some Irish in her background. I'm also half Scottish, you know, really a little bit of everything. And we really wanted to incorporate each one of those elements within the ceremony so that it was a representation of us. Um, And I think our idea was to show that the ceremony is two people from different backgrounds coming together and intertwining those backgrounds and creating new traditions. So I came across this Celtic hand fasting ceremony in my research because I, again, am a type A person and wanted to really design the whole ceremony. I created the script and our minister, you know, helped us with some things that she has, you know, done in the past with how to structure a ceremony. So in my research, I don't even know how I came upon it, but I read about this hand fasting ceremony, which is where the term tying the knot comes from. And it's a very, very old, really pagan tradition where it, you know, shows these four directions, north, south, east, and west, and also the four elements of earth, fire, water, and air. And it was beautiful the way it described how these elements and these directions sort of ground you as a couple and tie you together for life. And I just was blown away by it. I thought it was the coolest thing. So we asked our minister, what do you think? And she loved the idea. So we took bits of that. I mean, it was really us like writing things that were meaningful to us and who we were. But what was cool about this ceremony when we did it, we, you know, held hands and the minister read, you know, for each like direction and and energy or element, some little blurb about like what that means and, you know, how, how that's going to play into your life. And then we had a significant person come and tie a ribbon around our hands. And so that was a really great thing, too, because we wanted to incorporate those people that meant a lot to us into our ceremony, and it it was a great way to do that. So honestly, it was definitely the best part of the ceremony. People, I've had people copy it that have been to our wedding, and they've gotten married and done it in their own because they loved it so much. So it was really memorable, and it represented, I think, who we were as, you know, as a new couple. Yeah. The idea also is that you have these four ribbons that are very meaningful to you. Um, the problem was that we forgot those ribbons. Oh, no. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, plan to be surprised. So we realized that we had forgotten the ribbons, I think, right before Caitlin started coming down the aisle. So the entire bridal party down, was down there. The entire groom's party was down there. I was down there. And we, someone was like, where are the ribbons? And we're like, the what? And we all start looking around, and everyone's looking around, and Caitlin starts coming down the aisle. And we're like... Someone go tell the wedding planner. So, like, we did a telephone all the way down the, you know, each side and found the wedding planner. And then, essentially, we had these streamers that initially had that were probably about less than a foot long that Caitlin had made that were on a stick pole kind of as a nice little thing that we wanted to wave at the end of the ceremony. Those were too small. So 
the wedding planner goes off and finds these ribbons that she actually had used to block off seats, so where the family was going to be sitting, and just use those and cut them up and then pass them down. Caitlin, I don't think, knew about this until... They the, were being tied around they, our they hands. They were being tied around our hands. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, these aren't the ribbons I spent a really long time looking for and planning, but... And no one okay. else knew. <laughs> and no one, no one in the audience was of the wiser. So. No, and it didn't matter it because, didn't matter. I mean, again, it, those those things don't matter. It it seems so important, and I put so much time and effort into the small details, which I I'm, I mean, I'm glad I did because it. I loved planning my wedding. It was I wish I could do it all the time. I tell everyone who's getting married, I will happily plan your wedding for you because it was it was stressful but wonderful, and I loved all those little tiny details, but. In the long run, it's, you know, it's great background, but people are really, they want to focus on you and what you're saying and your love for each other. And that's really what we were doing, too, in that moment. So you guys dated long distance. Then you lost your venue twice. Then the ribbon extravaganza fell through. <laughs> oh, and and it was 104 degrees outside and it was a wedding. Uh, oh, right. A, okay. Yeah. All not ideal, not, not, not ideal for me personally. No. Probably not for a lot of people. <laughs> but you guys seem to have a really good attitude about it. And I feel like like how couples manage stress can kind of say a lot about who they are together. So as we'll discuss, it wasn't a life of rainbows and unicorns after the wedding. Just... just Mm-hmm. Keeping it rolling. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about how your lives have changed in the last seven years? So we enjoyed married life. So mm-hmm. for a long time, so we got married in 2012, and then we're living in Chicago, downtown Chicago. Enjoyed Chicago um, very much. Uh, we lived walking distance from music venues that we would walk to. Enjoyed the lakefront. What else? Traveling. Traveling. We, we both love to travel, so. Wanting to take advantage of that. I, I mean, we, within the first nine months of us dating, we went to Europe for six weeks together, which really was was quite the test of our relationship. So we love to travel and we are very good travel companions. So we really wanted to just enjoy that and, and experience that. So we took advantage of it from for the first three years of our marriage, just enjoying Chicago, but also going to Europe, going to, you know, lots of different places, taking weekend trips here and there, and just enjoying being a couple. And then in 2015, I turned 30, and that was sort of a, we decided, you know what, it's time for the next step. We were ready to start a family, and, you know, Ben was still in school, but he was nearing the end of it. So, and I just was like, you know, I'm not getting younger, so... 30 seems like a good year to start this, and we really lived it up. We did a lot in, in that year. We went lots of places, and um, we went on a big family trip to Scotland, which was amazing. So kind of after that, we we felt like we're ready. Let's move into this next phase and started to you know try to have a family, and it was not easy. We had trouble conceiving for... I guess that was six months or so, maybe a little less. And then I went to my doctor just for my annual checkup and mentioned to her that this is, you know, something we'd been trying to do. It wasn't happening. And I love my doctor. She is fantastic and said, you know, we can just 
give you some some tests and see what's going on. Let's, you know, check it out. No no need to wait. And we have the technology now that we can see what's going on. So let's just do it. So I, you know, I, I really didn't even expect her to say that. So I really am grateful to her because I, I think if we had waited longer, who knows what would have happened. But it, it sort of was able to get this process started where we were just, you know, both of us had to go in and get some tests done and see what was going on. And at a certain point, it became clear that my regular OB couldn't help and they needed to send us to a fertility specialist. Nothing was specifically, like, wrong per se, but we both were, you know, just having some some issues with our bodies that it just was making it difficult. So went to a fertility specialist in, I think that was April of 2016, and we, you know, we were starting to discuss sort of those next steps. So taking medication for myself and then artificial insemination. We did that for a few rounds and then still not working. And it was a roller coaster of emotions every single month. Your hopes are so high. And of course, you're also on all these hormones, so that doesn't help. And, you know, you're you're just praying and hoping that it will work and then it doesn't. And so... You know, you just feel really bad and feel like you failed or why is your body not working or, like, why is this not happening? And it's just so unknown, too, which is really hard. Like, there was no real reason why. And the doctors, you know, every month it's sort of like, all right, well, we'll adjust this and see if this works. And, okay, next month we'll now we'll try this. So it was really hard because you'd have to then sort of pick yourself back up pretty quickly, actually, to – start the process all over again. And, you know, so you just sort of felt like you were just getting pulled, you know, in lots of directions. And, you know, it's hard because it is a lot on the woman. You're the one taking all the medication. You know, you're just sort of, you're, your body and emotionally you're being put through a lot. So luckily I do have a pretty amazing partner and he was great in just sort of supporting me in that. I think it was probably hard for him to see me going through things that he, like, couldn't really help me with. But he was really a huge support system. And my friends were, too. I mean, we were very open pretty much from the beginning that this was going on with us. And people knew what we were going through and were really supportive, which I think helped immensely for me, I, I'm a person that relies on my community. So they all came together for us and were there to support us. So that was really amazing. And basically, once we hit the new year, 2017, we knew we were done with the inseminations. It just was, I felt like I was beating my head against a wall. And mm-hmm. I was kind of done with the low odds that, that you have from, from that. Because I don't remember what... Well, it was the percentages of even the success rate, but it's pretty low with inseminations, and I just I just was ready to move on to the next step. And yeah, being your type A personality, right. you just wanted to keep going, <laughs> yes. hammering it away. And I remember kind of like building up because we were supposed to go see the fertility doctor like as soon as we got back in the new year because we were away for the new year, Christmas, back east with our families, and it was like okay, let's let's go in there and say that we're, we we want to start IVF. So we go into the doctor's office and. Each time we're reviewing the chart, kind of what's happened in the past, and he's like, "Okay, I think it's time to start IVF." And we're like, "Oh, we were ready for a battle to to 
to like try to like <laughs> like push you along and and he was just like okay let's let's go for it so that was really wonderful we had really great doctors mm-hmm. we i think we're lucky we were lucky that we were in a metropolitan city that had a lot available to us so we had wonderful doctors and i also think when we were in the fertility office seeing all the people that were there and it was people from all backgrounds all ages and seeing, you know, people were coming out crying and people were coming out smiling. And you just, you don't feel as alone then. You know, you see all these people that are actually going through the same thing as you. And, you know, in fact, people that are probably in worse situations than what we were. And, it, you know, it, it did help to see that, for, for me at least, and just not feel so alone. Because I think that's something that's really hard when you're going through any sort of, you know, difficult time you feel like you, you're the only one. And if you can start to reach out to people or at least see, you know, that other people are going through it, it, it helps. So it, it definitely was good to see that. And then when we moved into the first round of in vitro fertilization, that was that was rough. I mean, it is not easy on the woman's body at all. You're You're just sort of being, you know, forced into producing like eggs and your body is just, you know, on lots of drugs. Lots of uh, shots in the butt mm-hmm. <laughs> from Ben, which which was very nice of you. You had to be very supportive for that. That's love. It's mm-hmm. love. I mean, it really is. <laughs> like, And it was also, there were just sort of those funny times where we would be traveling and, you know, you have to take medication, like, at a specific time. And it also has to be, like, cold and, you know, all this stuff. And so, like, being in, like, an airport bathroom and, you know, taking these shots and, yeah, that's that's love right there. And it's a real commitment. So, you know, but you just, I we, we really wanted a baby. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And we went through the first round. We were able to get three eggs. Two of them were good. One was just so-so. And I went in saying I did not want multiples, which is sort of typical when you go through these, you know, fertility treatments. Multiples are... are more common, but I was like, no, I'm good. Just one baby, please. Thank you. So we only put one egg in and it didn't work, which was definitely the lowest point that I've ever been at. And I think we felt that we were ready for the next step to making a family because we were really solid as a couple, but that really tested that. And I knew that Ben was the perfect person for me because he was there for me in that moment. And, you know, I had found out on my drive home from work, which was super fun. And I just called him and just was like, you have to be home. Like, I can't, I can't come home by myself. And he was there as soon as I opened the door. And, you know, that was a really important thing for me to to just have that support from him. So, I I definitely recommend making sure that you are in a really solid place with your partner because you don't know what's going to be thrown at you and you want to make sure that you're you're supported in that and that you have someone there that's like going to take a little bit of that burden off of you too. That's really hard, especially being on the other end because me personally, I'm a problem solver. I'm an engineer. I like to solve problems. And it's one of those things you can't solve. It's and also kind of having enough medical knowledge in the background. It's like, okay, it's trial and error too, but it it's trial and error that sucks. 
it's really kind of hard. It's, okay, let's try these things, but you want to offer solutions, but there are no solutions right there at that point. You just have to be there, and that took me a while to figure out. Earlier in the marriage, I tried to offer solutions. It did not work. So you just have to be there emotionally, just have a good, solid foundation, and just be able to hold that person to just listen and just let them express themselves while they're probably at the lowest point and you just got to be supportive and just there. And I, at that point we were like, okay, let's, do you remember what day of the week that was? It was a Monday. A Monday. So I think at that point I was realized, okay, we got to just get out. So there's a nice little uh, lake town close to Chicago and just booked the cheapest hotel. That it, well, not, not the no, cheapest. it was very nice. <laughs> it was a good uh, oh, yeah. No. Okay, yeah, not no, he – you were really thoughtful. You just knew that we needed to sort of get, get away, away and, you know, just remove ourselves from what was going on. And he, Get out of the house. Just get away from Chicago for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kind of relax and just have some time to figure out and let, let things kind of recap and – Process. Process and be able to do it somewhere else other than – you know, our house or our condo mm-hmm. and be able to do that, which I think was really important um, just to yeah. have that intuition to know to do that. He was very, it was really thoughtful and that meant a lot as well to just know that he understood that and, and just sort of did it without even saying anything to me. And then we had already had this trip planned to Charleston mm-hmm. in a couple, um, a couple weeks after that. And we decided, you know what, we're going to go on that trip. We're going to, you know, kind of pause on on the fertility treatments. We're going to recharge ourselves as individuals, but also as a couple. We're going to just sort of, you know, kind of get back to basics of like who we are because you kind of get lost a little bit in when you're going through all of that. And and your focus is so much on getting pregnant and, you know, what you have to do to, to get there that sometimes you you do end up losing a little bit of even yourself, but your, yourself, your who you are together as a couple. So we went to Charleston, sort of recharged and regrouped and got back to Chicago when we were ready to start again. So we had one egg left. So they had frozen the one other good egg that we had. They frozen both, but then when they defrosted it, only one was good and viable. Really viable. That's right. And what was good about that is I myself didn't have to go through as much with my body because we had already gotten an egg. So that's kind of the hard part of IVF is you have to do a lot at the for, at the beginning to get a lot of eggs. And when you have one frozen, it's sort of easier and it's less stressful. And that that was actually much nicer. And for me, I, I tried to go in with a different mentality and, you know, my hopes had been so high the first time. So I really tried to keep them a little lower and also keep things a little more quiet. We we had told pretty much everyone that we knew that we had been going through the first round of IVF, which, again, was important to me. But then it, it was a lot harder it was to hard. then have to spread the word that it didn't work to all those people. So... You know, I actually couldn't do it. I, I really, I really couldn't. I, I kind parents. of let other people do it, do it for me. But the second time, we just sort of kept it a little quieter. And that phone call, I, I told the doctors, please just leave me a voicemail this time. I don't want to have to talk to anybody because I wanted us to listen to it together. Like, I couldn't do that again of me knowing by myself and then having to drive home. And 
So listening to that voicemail, and I, I will never delete it because it's the greatest voicemail ever. Hi, Caitlin. This is Ashley calling from Dr. Sipes' office. I wanted to review your lab results from today. Um, I have good news. You're, you are pregnant. Your HCG, your, the pregnancy hormone, came back at 199 today, which is an awesome start. Um, your progesterone level is 20.4, which is also wonderful. We want you to continue the baby aspirin patches and the progesterone and oil as you have been and schedule labs and labs for Wednesday, the 24th. Congratulations and have a wonderful day. Bye. This is amazing. You know, all, all of the struggles and the pain and the ups and the downs, it happened. And so that was so joyful. And we were able to share that news with our parents, which was, of course, you know, really meaningful to us. And then because you're going through IVF, they monitor you really, really closely. So, I mean, I had to go in every single day for blood work. And they're just monitoring your numbers, making sure that the pregnancy, that it actually, like, sticks. And so by we learned on a Monday, by Friday, it was like, okay, you are officially pregnant. Like, it is, it is definitely there. You know, you can feel even more sort of relieved because we were sort of holding our breaths that week. And then the following week, they said, you know, come in for your first ultrasound. So we went in and... Some of my early research, I had done some ultrasound, so imaging ultrasound, but on muscle. So I kind of know my way around an ultrasound image, but I don't know my way around a uterus ultrasound. So we're we're looking at that, and she's like, we're, she's looking at the eggs, and I'm like, oh, that, that's interesting. I, you know, it looks like there's two in there. And I'm like, it's probably just a curved part. There's probably just a little shadow there. And as she's looking through, she's like, oh, there they are. And I'm like, they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's there's two of them in there. And we're like, two what? There's there's two of what? There's two? Yeah. Because we only put in one egg. It split before it implanted, and we were having twins. All of Caitlin's plans of having one child <laughs> by putting one egg in, yeah, God laughs. Yeah, uh, I... That moment was just it. Both of us just sort of started laughing because, again, it was we had planned something, and nope, you're being surprised again. We're we're throwing something different at you. Yeah. So we just we were just laughing, just going. Good. We were basically celebrities there. Oh, yeah. They Infamous. were like, "Oh, you're the couple that just put in one egg and got twins." We were like, "Yep, that's us." Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it it again. Thinking about all that we went through to know that we had one egg and we got two babies. It's, again, this blessing in disguise that we never thought about and just planned to be surprised because we could never think of it being any other way. And now we have two children and two beautiful baby boys. Yeah. And yeah. Don't Identical. need to have any more. So, you know, it's... <laughs> one and done. Yeah. As our doctor said, two for the price of one. No, I, I said that and he was like, don't tell anyone. All right. Yeah. Oops. We just did. <laughs> so clearly you've been through a ton mm -hmm. and there have been a lot of surprises along the way. What would you say is your best marriage advice coming out of all of it? I say start with a strong foundation. So a lot of people, you know, they want to... Not necessarily rush into having kids early, but find out who you are as a couple first and then introduce the strains and stresses of having a child into that. One of the great things about living in Chicago 
away from our family was that we were able to figure out who we were as a couple and have a really, really strong foundation from that. And then also have people around you that support you as well. So have your own great foundation and then have your supports around you, friends, family, everyone around before you go into that next step of life, which I think really helped us through because we were able to really be able to, as a couple, just stay together and be on the same page with a lot of things because we had that very strong foundation. You put it very well. I I feel that it's also important to know who you are as an individual and going into it. I mean, thinking about who we were when we first started dating, neither of us are still that same person. I mean, we've grown and evolved because of each other mm-hmm. and because of, you know, what we both brought to the relationship and we, you know, both sort of guided each other, you know, down these different paths along the way. But I think you you need to know who you are and you need to be happy with yourself so that then you're able to contribute to your marriage and be an equal partner. And I think we're both lucky that we are equal partners in this relationship because I think that really made a difference and we wouldn't be who we were. And, you know, even now raising our sons, it's an equal, it's an equal partnership in that as well. So I I think if you are going to enter into a marriage, you want to make sure that you know who you are first and then as a couple have that solid foundation and take time to know who you are as two people separately and together. Because when you get into things like, you know, even even the marriage process and then the, you know, planning a family, it's not easy and it's easy to get lost and it's easy to lose who you are and it's easy to lose who you are as a couple. So the stronger you are going into it, the better you will come out of it. It's great advice. Thank you both so much for coming in. I appreciate it. And congrats on the two beautiful boys. Thank you. Stick around because in just a moment, we'll hear from you and what your best tips are for building a marriage that lasts. XOXO is a podcast produced by The Knot, the nation's leading wedding planning app offering a seamless all-in-one wedding planning experience. From finding inspiration and local vendors to creating your registry and managing all your guest experiences, like digital RSVPs and photo sharing. The Knot was founded on the mission of helping every couple plan their wedding, regardless of their style, budget, location, culture, or who they choose to marry. For more than 20 years, The Knot has helped empower 25 million couples and counting to celebrate and plan their perfect celebration. If you're planning a wedding, be sure to download The Knot Wedding Planner app, available for all mobile devices. Now, a word from our listeners. Hi, it's Kate from Washington, D.C. My husband and I have been married for a year and a half, and there are three things that we think make for a happy marriage. Asking each other out on dates, going on a couples-only vacation once a year, making sure you put the toilet paper on the roll with the end over the top, not from the bottom. Hi, I'm Rory. I live in Connecticut. For me, the thing is understanding what your spouse really wants, what's important to her or him, and figuring out which things are easy enough for you to do that really don't bother you, and just doing them. Like for me, I'm a slob, and my wife is very neat, 
And uh, it's just not hard for me to just be a little bit cleaner. And that's important to her. So I do it. Thanks for tuning in to XOXO by The Knot. If you have a comment about our show, tips for making your own traditions, or marriage advice you want to share on air, email us at xoxoatthenot.com or leave us a message by calling 917-524-6508 or connect with us on social. I'm over there. Search for our handle at The Knot and on the web at thenot.com. We'll be back next week, so be sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Our show is produced by Lauren Nolan with assistance by Emily Berman in New York City at The Hanger Studios. Thanks for listening.